0: Mike and Gary and Chris and Claris and Robin. Are are you missing somebody up there? There's somebody as you look out over the congregation that would normally sing with you that's not part of your group? Yeah. Who's that? Pastor George Groves? I think we, yeah, we need to... This is one of his favorite numbers. He, He could probably sing it front ways, back ways sideways. for a wonderful job and I believe that it will take a second or so here to regroup and as COVID is in its ambiguous state and the world is looking many means of trying to understand what's going on In the church here are are dealing with a number of situations uh, probably a breakage within the United Methodist Church Um, certainly politically we're having great difficulties understanding and maneuvering the course and our scripture today is probably very appropriate because Luke 9 46 to 50 talks about who is the greatest. And Jesus takes a little child and he says whosoever becomes as a little child. We trust that those joining us by way of television and radio um, are blessed by our ministry each and every week, I, I hear somebody that's being touched by the message that we present. Just this past weekend, I was invited back to the university and back in 1970 when I graduated from high school and went to the university that they had a new coach that came in, and he wanted to, he had almost an unlimited budget to make, a, to put together just a real Hall of Fame football team and members were not from big schools they were from a lot of small town schools they came together and had just a phenomenal winning season and in the school's history that was the only Hall of Fame team. Due to COVID we could not celebrate our 50th anniversary last year so we celebrated our 51st anniversary. A lot of my teammates had changed so much and they said wow you changed a little bit too Randy and a number of them paid, paid our church compliments. One of the greatest compliments that I heard was an individual who was, he was traveling through Oklahoma and he heard some beautiful music and when it came time for the speaker to speak and I had introduced myself as Randy Tabor, he says, oh, I played football with Randy Tabor, you know, 51 years ago. And he was going through some very difficult times in his life, vocation, family, marriage, and he related to me on just a very brief, brief. I don't want to go into all the intimate detail how, how we touched his life and his family and his work. If you have a story, you know, don't hesitate to give us a call or write us a little note. That's, that's an encouragement um, to all of us. I'll be reading some letters here shortly, and, and, but I'd like to, um, open with, um, the reason we're here. A mighty fortress is our God. Would you stand with me as we open, as we welcome all those by way of television and radio, and, um, we are blessed, we are fortunate to be able to enter your homes, and if you have a prayer request, um, We do um, non-churched weddings and funerals and COVID is kind of backing away a little bit. And so we thank God. And our premise of existence is that a mighty fortress is our God. So let us turn in our purple hymnals to hymn number 110, a mighty fortress is our God. Purple hymnals number 110. We bring this to all those who hear and are open to the spirit of God. A mighty fortress is our God. If you're in your cars, if you're hearing by way of radio or television, sing it along with us, would you please? Praise song, we believe, is dedicated in the memory of Lee Gross, and I always kind of expect to see Lee coming in. I, I really had a hard time, probably just really dealing with the grief and the loss of this wonderful member of our congregation. So, really sing it out in the wonderful memory of, of Lee Gross, one of his favorite members. <laughs> Father God, we just pray that not only the words of our mouth but the meditation of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O Lord. I remember June Gross, the beloved mother of Lee and Gary and many other children, oftentimes saying that she hoped that her children would always be faithful unto Jesus and, and the church. And we thank you for the faithfulness of the Gross family over the years, for the memories of those who are faithful and true, that the shoulders that we stand on this morning, the list goes on and on and we could spend our entire service and just scratch the service of those who have paid the price in their stewardship of their time and talents and treasures, so that we might be where we are today. So those by way of television, radio, and other means of communication are benefactors of these true saints that have gone on before us. We thank you this morning that in spite of the pandemic and other hurdles and areas when our society seems to be demonized, where God has truly created each individual person, we are all individual persons for God so loved the world that He gave of His only begotten Son, the, the whosoevers would believe in and trust in and adhere to, would not perish but have everlasting life. That God created each and every one of us as individual persons, as sovereign, we are to be sovereign over our own bodily integrity. We are not called to be enemy with robots. And when it comes to human rights, it matters not whether this injection is safe and effective. No entity has a right to violate that bodily integrity and mandate someone to receive an unwanted injection. Any person or entity that claims such a right has illegally claimed ownership of our body, and that's, that's an act of war. The Bible states and says that in the end times, a, a system, a system a, 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 in global, global in scope, will arise and, and deceive everyone, according to Revelation chapter 13. And that system will demand that every human being on the planet, rich and poor, slave and free, take its mark, whether in their right hand or their forehead. And this mark will be required in order to buy or sell or conduct commerce of any kind. And will this be, will this be a, a literal mark as as so many preachers and teachers of the word and novelists and TV filmmakers suggest? It could be. But I wouldn't bank on it. The head, each of our heads represents our minds and how we think. The, the hand represents our actions, and do we think and act in concert with the the rising one world system, the globalists? that have infiltrated our politics, our White House and nations of the world, and has this this gene-based injection may not likely be the mark, but it could appear to be an important precursor. The digital vaccine passports being rolled out worldwide represent an even bigger leap in my opinion, towards the mark. But one can see how all of these seemingly, seemingly insulated and isolated steps are are tied together in a chain that inevitably leads to the mark. Anyone who accepts the vaccine has made that first critical decision that aligns them with the world's advancing beast system. Some of us, like myself, did it innocently, and and I believe we redeem ourselves by rebelling against vaccine passports and refusing to work for it or do business with or or any entity that requires people to show their digital papers. These digital papers, that will start as a health passport app, app, on your cell phone, but will evolve into a a biometric grid, global ID system tied to one's bank account. And while some of the vaccinated will rebel and, and come over from the dark side, don't expect this to happen en masse. Don't expect millions to suddenly grow a spine to take a stand for freedom and refuse to participate in this Burgeoning, burgeoning digital money system that's connected to the digital health system. Very few have courage. Very few have courage by way of television and radio and pulpits, as as the pulpiteers and the Canadian press have already confiscated the power, and countries are a- asked to produce sermons before they are e- even preached that's why they accepted the vaccine in the first place most have accepted the beast needle in their arm citing one or more of the reasons that that we oftentimes hear we we hear about how they swallowed the lies of the beast which told them that a jab would be good for their health and they'd never be bothered again. They submitted to the pressure of the beast to get the jab, even though they had strong suspicions that it would not be good for their health. They wanted to preserve their place within the the, the system, the beast system that is so tightening its grip on the world, because as in our Sunday school class we learned about bondage, and I, I thought about so many other forms of bondage. We, we, we want to travel. We, we want to eat out at restaurants. We, we want to go on a cruise. We want to attend that, the ball games. We want to go to the concerts. We want, and we want, and we want. And from the start, we all believed in the lies. That if, if we just wore the masks, if we if we just had proper distance, they like just social distance, if if we just didn't go to church, if we didn't open our businesses, if, if we just got the shot, things would soon return to normal and we could all go back to our former lives. And many of us woke up and realized we were duped, but most will remain. I believe as zombies following whatever orders proceed from the mouth of the beast. Though they thought they joined the winning side, but one day they will wake up and realize what a horrible mistake we've made. They've chosen to yoke themselves to a cruel master that will not be easily pacified, not by a mask, not by standing on the little X, the little X in line at their long, big box stores, not by getting a shot and not by accepting the QR, the QR code on their cell phones. And Lord, help us to investigate and understand the, the new rising biomedical security state is being determined to use COVID to reduce every human being to a QR code. In the systems that are against the church, we put in that category of the beast. They've lied about the shots being good for our health, lied about things going back to normal, and the beast will continue to tell more lies about the unvaccinated spreading the viruses, which are hard to imagine because once you've got COVID, it's stronger than any old vaccine. It's Help us, O oh Lord, to endure this lifetime of, of sickness, and what's worse is the beast now claims ownership of our, of our very own bodies. No, breaking loose from this beast will not be easy. It may require a divine epiphany. We need each and every one of us an epiphany, a, an understanding of the light. For the big push now is to get the children. Where Jesus says, suffer not the little children. Come unto us, for such belong the kingdom of God. And the big push now is to get the children injected. And we can hardly turn on a TV without seeing a commercial or some propagandist, progressive, liberal, posing as a journalist, urging parents to get their child jabbed. Help us, O oh Lord, to be discerners in the times because each and every one of us will be held accountable for our decisions and our choices. For those who listen to these lies and choose to get their kids injected with the experiment, M gene therapy will go down in history as a, the most gullible, the most clueless, the most undiscerning of the current age. They will be like the, the Germans and, and the Lutherans and Certain denominations who observed the lives of the Nazis, they they walked their children right into the beast system of slavery and walked with them into the showers who gassed themselves and their children. Help us to conquer the times, O Lord, in which we live in. For you have taught us all to pray, and as we pray for members of our congregation, Kathy and her recovery and our district superintendent, Dan and Debbie and others' names that we bring before you and those who wanted the confidential use of their names by way of radio and television and their letters of encouragement should be shared by our, all our staff and by all of our givers of their time and their finances to make this telecast possible. And join us as we pray the prayer, prayer that our Lord hath taught us to pray by saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, our debtors, and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you'd like to follow along, our scripture lesson is taken from Luke chapter 9, 46 through 50. I've known of pastors that have taken weeks and months on this scripture because it deals with a a real problem throughout history and Christianity about divisions and who claims to be the greatest, the greatest. One of the big eliminators within the chaplaincy is, is a bigoted preacher or teacher or chaplain who claims their religion is the one and the only. I served some 47 different denominations when I was military chaplain and those by way of television. I've probably buried as many Air Force officers and Army and Marine Corps and Navy just this past week, a highly decorated Korean War Navy guy. But listen now to um, Luke's account, Dr. Luke's account of Jesus, the words of Jesus. Luke chapter 9, verses 46 and following, please. as we work our way through Luke's gospel, we cannot avoid this portion of scripture in Luke 9, 46 and following. It's also recorded in Matthew, the 18th chapter, verses 1 through 5, and Mark chapter 9, 33 through 37. And I've become a firm believer that when the authors have not only recorded it in one gospel, but a number of other gospels that Plenty of time should be taken in to look at those verses and the impact that they, they have. Reading now from Luke's Gospel, the ninth chapter, verses 46 and following. An argument. Can you imagine that? I know that no one here at all of it's ever had an argument. It's interesting how we can even have an argument with ourselves. One of the premises in Psych 101 is that you need to be um, very discriminative in the use of your time in your dreams in your nightmares and what wakes you up at night because oftentimes people have arguments with themselves. And if they can't solve the argument that they pick with themselves, they'll pick an argument with their spouse or, or their neighbor or their employee or employer. But here we see an argument, imagine it, among the disciples. An argument arose among them as to which one of them was the greatest. This past weekend I was... I, I um, have experiences that happen to me daily and I, I hesitate um, speaking personally about daily experiences and weekly, but I... Um, encountered a situation with the, uh, all the Hall of Famers that came back that they were the elite of the elite football team and many of the uh, football team were um, leaders in various fields. Primarily many of them went on to coaching and, and um, one I was talking to that my wife happened to take a picture of the two of us talking was with the winniest coach, the winniest high school coach. And such a humble guy, but I can remember all of us as we came to the university and we were told that we were told during university orientation week that we were to leave our, our letterman's jackets home. Or if we wanted to bring our letterman's jacket, we'd take the bars and the, the letters off and the notation, because we were starting from scratch again. But Jesus, a Jesus in scripture says, aware of their inner thoughts. And do you realize Jesus is aware of your inner thoughts right this moment? And imagine Jesus dealing with your inner thoughts right now Just take a moment and think of your inner thoughts right now, what you're thinking of. And then then imagine Jesus sitting down with you and and he took a little child and what did he do? He put that child by his side. And then he would stare you in the eyes as he said to them, whosoever, you could put your name in there, I'll put my name in there, Randy Tabor. You put your name in there. Whosoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes Jesus. And whoever welcomes Jesus or this child welcomes the one who sent me. It's like welcoming Jesus is welcoming God. And for the least, the very least, and maybe some of you feel you're among the least this morning I oftentimes get letters from people who feel that the only ones the only ones that care for them are from Olivet the only means that they hear by radio or by television is as the words of Jesus brought forth from Olivet and I've seen this increasingly just Over the last few years, it started accelerating, especially the last six to eight months, because it seems like we live in a lawless and a careless society. And Jesus goes on and he says, whosoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me, for the least among all of us is the greatest. And John answered, Master, we saw someone. And even this morning, a member of our congregation came up and she had been at, I believe, a funeral and she somewhat challenged the priest and the priest said, the one true Catholic and universal church is the Catholic Church. I would have loved to have been with that parishioner of mine Stood up with her against that, that priest. He certainly would have been eliminated from any form of chaplaincy because to feel that one dominant religion is better than another. John answered and says, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. That was the greatest honor in all denominations to cast out demons. And John answered, Master, we saw someone, and keep in mind, who was John? He was the beloved. Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him. We tried to stop him because he does not follow with us. He's not a Methodist, or he's not, you put the word in, he's not with us. But what did Jesus say? Jesus said, to this individual, and it's interesting that this person is nameless, faceless, because it's a person that we meet each and every time when we try to discuss who's the greatest or what denomination is. But Jesus said to him as he says to you and I today, do not stop him, do not stop them, for whoever is not against you is what for you may god bless the reading and the hearing of his word
1: thank you and good morning brothers and sisters the first verse in our scripture today relates to an argument between the disciples that argument was about who was the greatest among them this indicates exactly how satan may enter and cause division but jesus knew what they were thinking before they even said anything So he stepped in, and as he did this, he grabbed a child. With the child by his side, he said, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives receives my father, him who sent me. For who is the least of you is the one who is great. So true. You would never receive or welcome anyone unless you accepted them. Remember that the first and only sin ever that has or will be committed in heaven had to do exactly with pride. Satan wanted to be and have exactly what God had, so he jumped on the throne and pretended like he was omnipotent. It sounded like he was all-knowing, but he wasn't. He was being counterfeit. That is a very strong trait of how Satan operates. Just because something looks good at first, oh, this would be so nice to have, that isn't, all the, way, that isn't all the way it works out all the time. It's just not truthful. There is perhaps no better way of showing love for others than to humble yourself and serve them. That is the first and foremost way to show love. Service shows a combination of both humility and love. Besides, there's no better way to follow Jesus than replicating him. There really is no other way to show Jesus that you're following him and have faith in him And acting like him. There is no way we can even attempt to gain more of God's love. Than he has for you right now. Think about that. God loves you the way you are. Not the way you were. Not the way you will be. But the way you are. God loves you exactly that way. Right now. A lot of, I would say almost most. Most human issues stem, or the negative things that happen to us stem from that, the ability of not recognizing that we are loved by God the way we are. Whether it be mental issues or any issues between people, people cannot accept themselves because they cannot accept God's love for them as they are. What we're supposed to do as Christians is replicate Jesus' love for others. We can do that only by having faith that he was the Son of God and God does love us. In verse 49, John was concerned about others casting out demons because he was a disciple. They weren't weren't disciples. They can't be casting out demons. You know what? Folks, that is pride. Bad. Jesus knew exactly what they were going to say and what they were thinking before they even told him. So he pulled a child up close to his side. He said, Do not forbid them, for he who is not against you is for you. I thought about that. Should we forbid anybody from doing good? That's almost ridiculous. Heaven's no. That's just a portion of the damage that pride can do. Stopping somebody else from doing good. There's an innumerable other possibilities of damage that pride can do to yourself and others. I took a larger view of this, sample sounding, this simple sounding statement when Jesus said, being the least. And I realized how much God loves us. And hate sin. I don't mean to burden us with any unnecessary sin and guilt, but every time we sin or do anything contrary to Father God or his word, we're going against him. That is Jesus' whole purpose to bridge that gap. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ that God doesn't turn away from us permanently after we sin. He does that through his forgiveness. God is ultimately perfect and physically unable. He cannot have even one drop of imperfection around him. He does that because he's perfect the entirety of heaven and the entirety of earth. Why do I say entirety? Is he everywhere? Yes, he is. He's in every inch of heaven, just like he's omnipotent here on earth. It bothers him. As it should bother us when anything goes wrong. God, Father God, cannot have one speckle, one drop, one period of imperfection around him. That's why he's so taken aback when we when we have when we sin, when we do something wrong against his word. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ, that our imperfections are covered. They don't go before God. He doesn't see them, he doesn't remember them. When we have faith in Jesus Christ, they're gone. So let's all have faith in Jesus so that we can avoid these sins being held against us by Father God and we'll be forgiven. Thank you.
0: I just wanted to read a note here from our district superintendent before I get into that. Pastor Randy and Dr. Tabor and the Olivet, the Olivet United Methodist Church congregation, thank you for listing us in your church bulletin and holding us in prayer during our recovery from COVID-19 infections. The, prayer of, the power of prayer is mighty, and we felt the care of your congregation and the, the healing of the Holy Spirit. Blessings to you, Dan and Debbie Johnson. I want to thank those who make our ministry possible. On Sunday mornings, come early and set up. By the way, we're having a great coffee hour and a great Sunday school class. The verses that we have now read contain two most important warnings, too. And they're, they're directed against two of the commonest, commonest evils which are to be found in the Church of Christ. Jesus gave them to you and I to know well what was in the human heart, your heart and all the hearts down through Adam and Eve. And well would it have been for the Church of Jesus Christ if Jesus' words, these particular words that Jesus gave in this passage had had received more attention, had more attention given to them. Well, in the first place, the Lord Jesus gives us a warning against pride. We've heard a lot about that, pride and self-conceit, and I'd like you to spell out the word pride in your own mind, and in particularly the middle word of pride. The I, self conceit and conceit. We're told that there arose a reasoning. You know, that's kind of a kind... Kind way of saying that there's a big, fierce debate, debate going on amongst the disciples. My translation says it's it's a reasoning, a reasoning among the disciples. Which of them should be the greatest. You know, oftentimes I'm sure that Pastor George and you know, most clergy, they get together and they they talk about their worship service and and the size of the church, and just this last week, and people were coming up to me and saying, Well, you must be retired by now. And I said, Well, I retired Air Force in 55 when I was 55, I could have probably retired also. Um, but I, I you never retire from the Lord, you never retire from the Lord. And, and ministers sometimes will say, What's your average attendance or what's the size of your membership and, and how's things going? And I, I, I quite frequently, you know, change the conversation, the most recent one was, oh, you pastor all of is oh, isn't that the largest church in Minnesota? And I often kind of remind them that it's not the Lutheran all of it, it's the Methodist all of it. It's a beautiful church. What we don't have in quantity, we have in quality, and I always have that response. And as wonderful as it may seem here, that little company, that little company of fishermen and publicans was, was not beyond the plague, was not beyond the plague of self-seeking and pride and that spirit of ambitiousness and spirit. They themselves, they themselves, concentrating on the early century, first century disciples, were filled with the vain notion, it was a vain notion that, that our Lord's kingdom was to appear immediately. And for some reason, statistically, some were to be put in first place. they were ready to wrangle and argue about their place and their position in the newly established kingdom of God. Now each thought, each thought their own, their own significance claimed the strongest appeal. Imagine what was going on in the background. Each thought their desserts and their right to to honor was most unquestionable each thought that whatever place was assigned to his brethren his brother or sister a principal place ought to be assigned to himself as superior and above and all this happened in the company of what the company of christ himself and and under, underneath the noontide bless of his teaching, and, and such is the, the current heart of humans. Now, there's something very instructive in this fact. It, it ought to sink down deeply into the heart of every Christian listener, by way of radio or television, of all your true sacrifice, of all your true stewardship of your time, your talents, your treasures, a, Of all sins there is none against which we have such need to watch and and to pray as pride. It's a, a it's a pestilence, it's a pestilence, it's a cancer that that walketh in darkness and a sickness that destroyeth at noonday. No sin is so deeply rooted in our own human nature as a sin of pride. It cleaves to us, like our skin, closer than our skin is the pride of the heart. Its roots never entirely die; they they are ready at any moment to spring up and exhibit a most pernicious vitality. No sin is as spacious and deceitful as the sin of pride. It can it can wear the badge, and it can wear the garb of of humility itself, and it can lurk in the hearts of the, the ignorant, the, the ungifted and the poor, as well as in the minds of the great, the learned, and the rich. It's a, it's a quaint and a, and a homely saying, but only the true that no pope has ever received such honor as the pope within oneself. Let a prayer, let a prayer for humility in the spirit of a little child form part of our daily supplication. Let us understand, except, except you become as a little child, Jesus said, in all of the creatures, none has so little right to the proud as us. Let us pray for humility in the spirit of a little child, form within us a part of our daily supplications. Of all creatures, none has so little right to be proud as us, and of all, none ought to be as humble as a Christian. It is really true that we confess ourselves to be miserable, to be miserable without Christ, to be miserable sinners and daily debtors, Daily debtors were debtors to his mercy and his grace. And we, the followers of Jesus, who was meek and lowly of heart and, and made himself of no reputation for our sakes, then let that same mind be in us which was also in Christ Jesus. Let us lay aside all high thoughts of self conceit and self deception. Deception and lowliness of mind let us esteem to others better than ourselves. Let us be ready on all occasions to take the lowest place. I'm reminded of that wonderful illustration when Billy Graham was preaching in a small world church and the church was saying that they didn't think he had arrived yet and he was sitting on the floor in the Narthex, because the church was packed, and they heard Billy Graham come, and people were wondering why he was sitting on the floor. He was a humble man. Let us be ready on all occasions to take the lowest of places, and let the words of our Savior ring in our ears continually The one that is least among you, all is the same, and shall be the greatest. And then in closing today, so much more could be said, but in the second place, our Lord Jesus gives us a, a warning against bigotry, bigotry and, and ill liberal spirits. As in the preceding verses, so here the occasion of the warning is supplied by the conduct of his own disciples. We, we read that John said to Jesus, Master, Master Jesus, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and And we forbid that person because they followeth not with us. They followeth not with us. Who this? Who this person was and why this person did not consort with the disciples? We do not know. But we do know that that this person was doing a good work and in, in casting out devils and that he was doing what he did in the, in the name of Christ, in the name of Christ, but he just didn't want to join that team that was already formed. And yet John says, John says that we the disciples, we forbid him. Very striking is the reply which the Lord at once gave those disciples and they, Jesus said, forbid him not, forbid him not, for he that is not against us is for us. And the conduct of John and the disciples on this occasion is, is a curious, very curious illustration of the, the oneness, the oneness of, and the meanness of human nature in every age. Thousands in every period of church history have spent their lives in, in copying in copying John's mistakes, they have labored to stop every real move of God because the work was not according to their maybe their, their particular inclination for Christ in their own way, from working for Christ at all. They, they have imagined in their, their pettiness, they have imagined in their self-conceit that, that they themselves were so right in their self-conceit that that they could be soldiers of Christ, soldiers of Christ, unless they wear their uniform and fight their own regiment. Can you imagine the chaos that would occur if the branches of our service, the Air Force, and the Marines, and the Army, and the Navy, could not get along, and they're not part of the same mission? They have been ready to say of every Christian who does not see everything with their own eyes, forbid him, forbid him, forbid him, for, for he followeth not with us. The, this solemn remark of our Lord Jesus Christ on this occasion demands our, our special and immediate notice. By Jesus' pronouncement, no opinion upon the conduct of the one whom whom John speaks. No condemnation was upon the person that was outside the the so-called team in the ranks of the disciples. But Jesus neither praises nor blames him for following an independent course and not working with his disciples. But Jesus simply declares that he must not be forbidden, must not be forbidden, and that those who work the same kind of work that we do should be regarded not as enemies but but as allies, allies. Jesus said, the one that is not against us is for us. And the principle laid down in this passage is of great importance that a right understanding of it will prove most useful in us in these latter days. In these latter days when certain forces of progressivism And globalism tries to devise and conquer us. The divisions and the varieties of opinion which exist among Christians are undeniably very great. The schisms and the separations which are continually arising about church government and and modes of worship are very perplexing to tender consciences. But shall we appreciate those divisions? We cannot do so if they do not elevate the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Christ. But whosoever is not with us, shall he denounce them and hold up the public reprobation, all of who will not agree to work with us and to oppose Satan in our way? If they're part of us, if they're resisting Satan, Let us be united with him. Unity, unity was never yet brought about by force. What then ought we, you and I, to do in closing? We must leave alone those who do not agree with us and wait quietly till God, till God shall think fit to bring us together. Whatever we may think of our, our divisions, the words of our Lord Jesus must, never be forgotten, forbid them not. Forbid them not. The plain truth is that, that when we are all too ready to say, we are the ones and our wisdom shall die with us. I've served as ministerial president in many small communities when previous denominations chose not to have one thought in common. Probably the most resistant maybe were the Seventh-day Adventists, or George, in your opinion, maybe the Missouri Synod or Wisconsin Synod. You know, I always felt among their inquiries, and I was requested to speak in many of their churches, and I would choose not to speak in the lectern because many of the old Missouri Synod or Wisconsin Synod Felt that that was only their pastor their denomination that's what I'd preach down by the altar sometimes next to the casket we forget that the church on earth has an absolutely monopoly of all wisdom and that people may be right in the main without agreeing with us the plain truth is that we are all too ready to say as in job we are the ones and wisdom is going to die with us we must learn to be thankful if if sin is opposed be thankful if sin is opposed and the gospel is preached and the devil's kingdom devil's kingdom is being pulled down though the work may not be done exactly in the same way we like we was we must try to believe that the one may be true hearted follower of jesus christ and yet for some wise reason may be kept back from seeing all the things in Religion, just as we do. Father, with every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, above all, we, we must praise God if souls are converted and we must praise Christ if, 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 if Christ is magnified, no matter who the preacher may be or the church of the denomination and to what church they may belong. But, but happy are those who can say with the Apostle Paul, if Christ be preached... I rejoice, yea, and I will rejoice, according to Philippians 1.18. And with Moses, Moses says, Envious thou for my sake. Would God that all the Lord's people were prophets and that all did prophesy? And the Apostle Paul, I pray that all would speak in tongues, but all should share Jesus. All should be witnesses of the fact of, and testimonies of what Christ has done for them. With every head bowed and every eye closed, those by way of television and radio, as we repeat these words together, dear Jesus, help us to look, O Lord, in our own lives. Forgive us, O Lord, for any division that we've caused, for any sin committed, for any good work undone. Cleanse our hearts, O Lord with your Holy Spirit, because we praise you and we magnify you, in Jesus' name, amen. Prepare for the offering. Jesus says the greatest among us is a little child as the ushers prepare to circulate the plates before our closing hymn. Let us turn to our bulletins, to our offertory prayer, and would you be so kind and gracious to pray with me? God, grace, and goodness, your blessings in our lives have been so abundant that when trials come, we become disoriented. Our needs have so often been met that when we're challenged in life, we wonder what's wrong. Why isn't the world perfectly aligned to meet our desires? This morning, we give our tithes and our offerings with hope that we might ground ourselves in gratitude for the blessings that we so easily come to take for granted. We pray for eyes to see clearly the bright mountains and the dark valleys with grateful hearts for both. In Christ we pray, amen. As our praise team comes forward, let us turn to our offertory hymn, God of Grace and God of glory. Purple hymnals number 577. 577 purple hymnals, please. Stand for the doxology, please. Gary, would you make your way up and give us a little um, idea how Kathy's doing? And while Gary's coming, um, Robin, would you um, share with us what the menu looks like immediately following for a coffee hour? Could you extend your hand towards Gary and let's pray for the close family. Father, we just pray in the name of Jesus that you would touch this couple and especially Kathy, Lord, you heard the predicament that they're in and we just... Father, we are not um, earthly physicians, but we serve a heavenly physician that can touch Kathy's body from the top of her head to the soles of her feet with your healing power. In Jesus' name, amen.